good morning again. We're close to afternoon. It's good to see you guys here. I will be honest with you and say that if we had no building, I would be perfectly fine with meeting here every Sunday, um, except for the wintertime. The devil is real, and uh, I, <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. Me not here. That wind be serious. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to grab one. We're going to be in the Marks, uh, Mark chapter 16, as we are about to wrap up the series that we have been in for almost two years, going through the Gospel of Mark, line by line, and uh, it's taken us quite a bit of time. I am sad to see it go. I know some of you are probably not sad to see it go. Some of you are probably like, it's about time we move on to something different. Uh, I see some of y'all nodding your head. I'll call, I'll call you out later, Okay. But uh, I'm sad to see it go because it is like convicting and it is just, it is an incredible view of Christ. It reads, if you notice, like the Gospel of Mark reads like a newspaper, right? So it's just kind of like, it's, it's telling you, you know, snippets of the story and it moves so fast. And that's, for me, with maybe my semi-ADHD brain, that is perfect for me. Uh, and so it's almost like I, I would have wrote very similar like this. So Mark chapter 16, if you notice, the header in the, this particular chapter that we're in is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What an incredible uh, story to tell in a public space about the risen Christ, that it is not just some fictitious story that we believe in, but this is an actual historic event that took place that reshaped history and reshaped the entire world as we know it all around this particular event, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16, we'll pick it up in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stones had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And they said to him, or, or, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. I love how they threw in Peter's name right there. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, some of your Bibles, and we just pause for just a second, some of your Bibles may say the, the rest of this chapter is not in most early tran, uh, manuscripts, but it, don't belabor on that. It's, it still coincides with Matthew, Luke, and John's account. This was other manuscripts that were added into, and it does not, it does not um, lessen the word of God and its value. It, it, in fact, it highlights it even more. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. 
she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been, and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them. And they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe him. Doesn't that skepticism give us a lot of uh, encouragement and hope this morning? Let's pray one more time over the reading of God's word. Father, we just thank you again for just your word, God, that your word brings life to us. It brings us from death to life, from darkness to your marvelous light. So God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and hands and feet to go and do, go and tell. For it's in your beautiful name we pray, in Christ's name, amen. As I said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of Christianity. In fact, it's the, it's the foundation of the gospel. The message of the Bible has been, and this is where the Sadducees would counter this and one of their biggest problems with the Bible, but the message of the Bible brings hope that death in this world is not the end for, for anyone. In fact, if you're a non-believer, it's not the end for you. It's, it's eternal damnation, but if you are a believer in Christ, I know that was pretty heavy, like to start things off, but if you are a believer in Christ, it is, it is just the beginning of an eternity with Christ in his presence. And so the Bible has been kind of pointing us to this, to this resurrection that would then, of Christ, that would then allow us, for us who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, to also experience resurrection in Christ with him for eternity. And the Bible's been pointing, Mark's been pointing at this thing. Jesus has been pointing us to this point. And it ought to just give us a lot of hope this morning. The resurrection is, is, is not the epilogue. It's not some kind of postscript on the end of the Lord's life, but is the beginning. And it's a center point and it's a beginning for the church. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we get to this point where the church now is alive and the church now moves. The resurrection is that Christ conquered sin and Christ conquered death. The resurrection is not a metaphor of how you'll rise to your occasion. Okay? I get tired of preachers be preaching about that kind of stuff. Oh, because of the resurrection, you'll overcome obstacles. Sign up today and receive your best life now. That's not what the resurrection is about. It's not about how God does the unexpected and the unexplained in your life. It's about Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And for whoever believes in the death and resurrection, you too get to rise with him for eternity. That's what the resurrection is about. Now, I'm off my soapbox. I'll continue with the text. It just happens like this sometimes, period, right? I want to approach the resurrection with three words, and I'll tell you what they are up front. That the resurrection is matchless. The resurrection is is essential, and the resurrection is unavoidable. Matchless, essential, and unavoidable. Matchless, essential, unavoidable. Let's look at matchless first, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is matchless. In other words, there's nothing that can compare to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I know like if I say that, some of you are thinking, well, 
Well, what about Lazarus? What, what about when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead? But in those cases, I would suggest that those were more of a type of uh, resuscitation because what we know from them is that they were going to be again met with death. But Jesus stands out among anyone who's been resuscitated because he's not going to find another endpoint to his life. That's why I say that the resurrection is matchless. It's incomparable. No one on the face of the planet has ever been able to say, I've been resurrected and I never experienced death again. That's why I say that the resurrection is matchless. The description of these ladies is, is very, I, I, I don't know, like it's, it's very powerful. The description of these ladies is one of matched of devotion. It's quite fascinating. They're going to anoint a body that's likely already been anointed. And they, and they go, well, well, we got all these fine ointments and we got all these fine essential oils, you know, that they bought from some lady that was selling them uh, online at Facebook Marketplace. And they go, well, we got all these beautiful essential, that didn't really happen. They have all these essential oils and they're going, we got to go anoint them. And they have this wonderful question. It's like, well, how are we going to get rid of the tomb? How are we going to get rid of the stone? How are we going to roll away the stone? And so they're, they're saying to one another how this is going to be. And so they... Before they got there, what they are fearing has already, been taken, has already been taken care of because the stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus Christ could step out of it. The stone was rolled away so that people could go in and see that the man they crucified, that the just for the unjust, that the one who was innocent and lived a sinless, blameless life was no longer there. And they rolled that stone away so that these ladies and that these people could come in and see that the man they crucified is no longer there. And I love the interaction. <laughs> I love the interaction with the angel. It's just chilling like he's some young dude. You know, he's just chilling out in his white robe, you know, propped up on, on this little seat. And he just looks at me and says, hey, don't be alarmed. Now, you have every reason, every reason to be alarmed. And if I'm the lady, I'm like, who are you telling me don't be alarmed? This giant stone has been rolled away. Jesus isn't there. In fact, his clothes are like perfectly intact and they're like nicely folded. And you're telling us to not be alarmed? Bro, you got every reason to be alarmed at this point. But the angel says to them, do not be alarmed. And the charge that was given to them at this point, and what is to focus on this charge? The charge that was given them is essentially given to the church. Come, first of all, and see that the risen Lord, and then go and tell. You hear that charge? Come and see. Go and tell. Come and see and go and tell. I don't remember who said this. It may have been G.K. Chesterton um, or Charles Spurgeon, the only two of the three people that I quote, or C.S. Lewis, one of these three people. He said that the world does not need a church that would move with the world. The world needs a church. I think I said that backwards. The world doesn't need a church that moves with the world. 
The world needs a church that will move the world. And how do, that's the question, how do we move the world? How do we continue to advance out the kingdom message of Jesus Christ? Well, the angel told you. Come and see. It's the invitation. Come and see our glorious Savior. Come and see how he is so good. And the, and the invitation for all of us as the church is to go and tell. Come and see the invitation. And now go and tell. Now you can sit here and you can wrestle on your own time. Why maybe we don't do this? All right? Maybe we can come out with like a list of at least 10 reasons. And then under that, there would be like some sub points about the reason why we aren't doing this. But God has a mission and a vision. And his vision for the world was that people would come and see the risen Savior of Jesus Christ. And that then that the church who have experienced and seen Jesus for who he really is would then do what? Go sit on our rear ends. Because we were good at that. I mean, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about myself. If I'm going to kick anybody in the shins, I'm going to kick my own self in the shins. Right? That's the message that God has given us, this vision for the world. Come and see that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He is alive. Now you, the one who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, regenerated through the Holy Spirit, then what is your mission? It's simple. Go and tell. How do we have this message how can we say with authority that Christ is king? He is risen from the dead because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is matchless. No one compares. Buddha don't compare. None of them compare. You can go to all their little tombs and those jokers' bones, they may or may not be there. They are likely still there because why? They dead. But you go to the tomb of Jesus Christ and guess what? He is not there because Jesus Christ is alive. The other thing, not only is, was the resurrection essential or, or was the resurrection matchless, but it's also essential for us. It's not some theological appendix that we kind of throw in. You know, it's just really nice to have. No, when you think about the gospel records and when you think about the letters, we realize that Christ's death and his resurrection are interwoven with each other. It's when, it's when they all bust out of the seams on the day of Pentecost. And Pete, oh, Pete preaches this message that you crucified him and he is risen. Because all of the message of the resurrection is interwoven with his crucifixion. It's essential. You cannot, you cannot separate those two ideas. And for many, the resurrection is that which Jesus was, was a stumbling block. Oh, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> I don't know about all this resurrection stuff. That is impossible because, you know, my, my philosophical brain. You know, anytime I hear somebody say that they're philosophical, that's just another way of saying I'm an idiot, by the way. So if you've ever said that, that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to you and say, so you're telling me you're an idiot. You know, we want to just throw out really big words to make it, make it seem like we really know what we're talking about. Underneath it all, you're just insecure. And that's how people address the resurrection because they do not want to accept the fact that there is a God who rose from the dead. Because why? Why is the question? Because then they have to submit to his authority. 
I mean, if there's a man who rose from the dead, that demands us, all right? All right, it isn't like some kind of cool little, come and see Jesus, he's just so cool and awesome. No, the resurrection, what it does in its essentiality is it commands us to bow before him as king. And that's why people don't want to wrestle with this and why one of the many reasons why, you know, these, these philosophicals will want to say that they cannot wrestle, they cannot hang with the idea that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection is matchless, essential, and the resurrection is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. You can't remove it. In other words, like you want to remove those family members that are visiting from out of state, you know, and they, they stay too long and like, well, their flight doesn't leave till two more weeks. And so you're just kind of, <sighs> did I, did I hurt somebody's feelings? I'm sorry. Um, it's unavoidable insofar as it makes clear that eternity is a reality for all of us. You don't have to go through your Bible so, so much to be confronted with that again and again. It's appointed unto man uh, once to die, and after this comes judgment. And we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, Scripture would say that eternity has been placed in the hearts of every person. So you have to be confronted with a reality because of the resurrection that it is unavoidable to talk about the reality of an eternity for you. That one day, right, and, 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 and if I could, I'll, I'll say it like this, because this will make everybody happy. I am a dying man pleading to, right now, dying men and women. And here's what I mean by that. Because one day, you'll be faced with the reality of eternity. Because what we believe, if this resurrection of Jesus is true, if it is real and we believe that it is, then that means that we too will be resurrected. And hear me, everyone, every person under the sound of my voice that has lived their life will be met with this reality. It's unavoidable. That you will be face to face with the judge. And the beauty of this message and the beauty of the gospel is that if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and if you have believed on the cross of Christ and his resurrection, the judge doesn't see you for who you've been. Isn't that wonderful news? All my screw-ups. I thought I'd have an amen right there. Because y'all know y'all ain't no saint. Y'all been, been out there screwing your life up since you came out the womb. But the judge doesn't see your screw-ups. And there's some of us like, I don't screw up. I'm a morally upright person. You know, I don't cuss out my wife. I don't, you know, kick my kids because they're just turds to live with. I, I wave at my neighbors and I think I'm a great guy. I've climbed the corporate ladder. And you know, Jesus is going to be like, oh, good for you. What you want, like a pat on your back? No, he still sees you as filthy unless there has been one who has substituted on your behalf. And when he sees you as a believer, he sees the righteousness of the sinless Savior. He doesn't see you as a person, as a, you know, a jerk or as, as, as whatever you want to just insert the blank with. He sees you as his beloved. Isn't that wonderful? The one that he chose, his beloved child. 
The resurrection is matchless, essential, and unavoidable. That everyone has to come to grips with the question of when I breathe my last breath, where will I spend eternity? And that kind of reminds me of like some upbringing, you know, pastors like, if you go out there, you're going to go get in a car wreck and you get slung through the windshield, you're going to die where you're going to spend eternity. But I think they're onto something. At least that's what it was in the South. I mean, was, we heard some really strange stuff in the South, but, but I think they may have been onto something with that question because you have to wrestle with that. That when I breathe my last, I'm going to step into the presence of God and will he say to me, depart from me, I do not know who you are. Or will he look at me and say, welcome in my good and faithful servant. Just a couple of thoughts as I just kind of wrap all of this up. This, this idea of this, this message that the angel gives us, and I think that that just kind of resonates to us as a church some 2,020 something years later, like this message to us is the same. Come and see. Go and tell. Go and tell. Isn't that an interesting thing that we hear? We don't really hear that much anymore in churches a lot. It's, 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 sometimes it's, well, just live a good life. Because you know what they say is, is you know, you don't, you don't really have to speak the gospel, just live the gospel. By the way, there's not a chapter and verse with that one in there, okay? Well, if you just live, your, live, live the gospel and others will be so attracted to you. The gospel doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible would say in Romans chapter 10 is how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Do you hear that? How are they able to hear unless someone goes out speaking, preaching, proclaiming? It doesn't say how are they going to hear uh, unless someone's going out there and just, you know, they look so nice and tidy. You hear this message in here? It's preach the gospel. And when necessary, just use words. That's the mantra that we've all fallen into. But that is further from the Bible. Preach the gospel. Period. All right, not to step on your, your word there. Preach the God, proclaim, go and tell. You think like Mary Magdalene, like when he told him to go tell, you think they were just like up there like doing sign language? No, they verbalize and say to them, he is alive. He's not there. Some dude like propped up in the tomb. He's alive. Go and tell. The mission of the church is not victory, okay? That's not our mission. Victory then has been won by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So then what is the mission of the church? It is what Jesus said, that I am building an ecclesia, a church, a gathering of the called ones together, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, just follow me just for a moment. I'm almost done. 
the gates of hell. Think about that. Think about what Jesus just said, the gates of hell. Now, when I think about this verse, I think of it in terms of the church then being called on the offense. The church then being called invading the gates of hell. You ever seen a gate that's fought you? No. Because what are gates for? Keep you out of my property. All right, if I have a gate and it's locked, I don't want you in there. Now, yes, the gates of hell wants a people to come in, but they don't want the church to come in and invade. Why? Because we have an essential message and we have a mission. And our message is come and see, go and tell that the Jesus Christ, this man you crucified, has been risen from the dead. So then our objective... Our mission, the vision that we have as a church then is to be on the offense and infiltrate the gates of hell with the message of Jesus Christ that he is king. That's our message. That's our mission. Go and tell. Go invade the darkest spaces of society. Go and find where the darkness is and shine the light of Christ with the message that he is not dead, he's alive. The, the last thought, the last thought is in, pretty, pretty an obvious, obvious one is, and it's a question of do you believe, right? That's the question because I find a little comfort in here because it seems like there's like a lot of skepticism happening up in this story. And, and they go, and they didn't believe. And then they go, and then they didn't believe. I mean, that's, that I just kind of like allow, you know, just some of us just to breathe sometimes. Because this message, like, like there are moments where we're just like, wait a minute, what? what? He, he's alive? So the question is, do you believe that he's alive? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, in fact, I'll go back to Romans 10, because early in Romans 10, what does he say? I'll tell you what he said. Romans 10, chapter, nine, chapter 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You are saved. And that's the invitation for anybody under the sound of my voice this morning. Do you believe? You will be met with an eternity. Uh, or you are, you've got to be met with the reality of the eternity that puts you in the position of where will I stand? And it's not, and it's not well, if I just be a decent person, then I'll be put at one level or, or, or if I'm a you know, really good person. No, it's if you believe in Christ, you are saved. And he is yours and you are his. And, and eternity with him is your final destination. But hear me. If you don't, the message is clear. Because eternity is real. You will be eternally separated from a holy and living God. 
And so I go back to that question, you know, if you were to die, where would you spend eternity? And I think that's the question you've got to wrestle with. And if you want an eternity of peace, of God's presence, of everlasting joy, of fulfillment, I mean, that, that, ought, to get, that ought to get some of y'all excited. Fulfillment, satisfaction, then you surrender to Christ. And that's the invitation this morning. Do you believe in the risen Lord? And will you go and tell this message?